Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome to Fast Money, the big show. Right now on the show, we got calm on the street. Stocks don't end up freaking out after a fearful morning following that jobs report. Our traders now in a wait-and-see mode ahead of key inflation data and that big Fed decision coming up. Plus, Beijing boom. Despite all the protests and COVID lockdowns, Chinese stocks are surging. The K-Web ETF, as you can see there, tracks the China market, finished the week up nearly 25%. That was China gone from being uninvestable to just about red hot. And then later on, our chart of the week, an e-commerce darling during the pandemic that cratered and is now making a major comeback. Is this a crafty way to play the holiday season? That's the mystery chart, right? Clue there. Thank you. I'm Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee today. This is Fast Money, the big show live from the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square. On the desk tonight, we've got Tim Seymour, also Courtney Garcia, Steve Grasso, and Jeff Mills as well. We will start with a whimper to end the week on Wall Street. Stocks closing well off their lows of the day after a hotter-than-expected jobs report. The S&P and NASDAQ just barely in the red, as you can see, while the Dow managed to eke out a slight gain, just about one-tenth of one percent. The moves coming even after news the U.S. economy added 263,000 jobs in November and that wages grew by six-tenths of a percent month-on-month. Both numbers higher than expected and potentially adding to inflationary pressures But markets mostly shrugged off those concerns. All three major indexes able to end the week in positive territory. So does today's market action suggest that markets really have put their bottom in Tim Seymour. Dom, Are great to have your bottoms? bottom here at the NASDAQ yes, right today. Here. And, right here. and I'll tell you, if you think about how the S&P's traded both today and even in the last couple of days after uh, that, that Powell rally that we've had, and if you think about where we've rallied, and I bring up these numbers all the time, off of that October 13th CPI low, we're up almost 17% on the S&P. Uh, the keys to me today were UBS had a good note out talking about how some of these payroll numbers may actually be overstating the employment numbers. If you look at the GDP numbers we got this week, you actually can see the tax receipts and wages are being revised downward the second quarter in a row without getting too deep into the weeds on this. The labor market is going to get weaker. We've seen this big tech has been cutting job after job. And I think while that may not be the overall economy, we do have a dynamic here. The most important thing for the markets right now, I think we have a quiet period going into the Fed next week. Very light on data. We know what the seasonals are and we know what the technicals are. I I, I actually think we're drifting higher next week. So, Courtney, I mean, this is interesting only because from a fundamental standpoint, you could understand what the market reaction was right after a hotter than expected jobs number. Mm -hmm. The economy is running hot. Wages are growing faster than Mm -hmm. people thought they were going to. This makes the Fed job harder. Hence the market sell off. What happened? Why the rally into into the close? today especially, and why did rates go lower? 
Well, I don't think realistically this changes anything that's going to happen, especially next week for the Fed. It is expected they're going to raise probably 50 basis points. There's still about 70% odds of that happening. And I think even with these numbers today, the Fed already stated that the strong labor force they already know about, they already know it's a problem. And they said that even this week when they hinted that they might start to pause on, or I guess not raise rates quite as high moving forward. I think realistically the trouble with this is they only can really control demand but not supply in the labor market. And there is like a big problem happening where you look at baby boomers, for example, they've been leaving the labor force about 2.2 million people per year since 2010. And that is happening regardless of what the Fed is doing. So you're going to have a tight labor market, whether they're raising interest rates or not. And I think at a certain point, they have to realize that. So, Steve Grasso, I, I, I think the curious part about what, what happened today was throughout the course of the session, at least in the early afternoon, we saw many of the mega cap darling names, right? The tech stocks, you know, like the Netflixes, the Microsofts and, and whatnot, really kind of rally off the lows. Is this a signal right now that rates are appropriately positioned where they are? Or do you think so that you, they- you said, you said it already, the rates, rates didn't do anything today in reaction to that jobs number, right? The dollar didn't do anything today in reaction to that jobs number. We heard from, from Chairman Powell on Wednesday, we got the number today. The market loved what he had to say. Why would it change on this jobs number? He already got a glimpse, right? We had a Fed governor tell us that he gets a glimpse of it a couple of days in advance. So if he already had a glimpse of that and we got it today, he's not going to change his stance. This is still going to be dovish. This is still going to be a, a decrease in pace, 50 basis points. So I think not to get too wonky or inside baseball, but algorithms read the tape. What do they do? They sell or they buy based on the language they see on the tape. So before a human being could get to that, to, to what was happening, the algorithms pushed the market down, traders got nervous, and then everyone said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Nothing has changed. It's 50 bips by the market. All right, so, so what's curious, Jeff, and I'll throw this out to you, algorithms may be trading this market, but people write algorithms. Coders are out there putting algorithms in place. They're the ones who tell these computer programs what to do when something happens. If you look at the price action right now, there's been an argument made that this could be a scenario where the Fed is focused on journey versus destination. We've heard that a lot, right? What's the pace of rate hikes or what happens in terms of how fast they do it? Or is it more important to look at where they end? What do you think right now? Did, tomorrow, did today's data change your mind about whether it's journey or destination? I mean, I think ultimately it is destination, right? I know the pace, they can, they can sort of assess what they're doing and maybe then they don't go too far. But policy acts with such a lag that I really don't know that that matters. I think it's ultimately the terminal rate. And, you know, we've said it before, but I don't think Powell said anything new. We talked about moderating in December. Well, we already knew that the ultimate level of rates, what we're talking about right now. I don't think that has changed. He said restrictive for some time. Now, I think that's intentionally vague, but in my opinion, it doesn't mean short term. And this relief rally that we're getting, like that's nothing new either. Stocks have rallied after every press conference this year. So, you know, yes, the market is in reasonable shape right now. We have 65% of stocks above the 200-day moving average. That's good. There's some participation there. It's more than we've seen at any time this year. But you know what's not? above the 200-day moving average, the triple Qs. Some of these big weights are not participating. Apple, Tesla, we talked about that earlier in the week. I, you know, I do think that could be a headwind. And the last thing I'll say is I think 
technically there are some signs of early fatigue. You know, we're pushing to these new highs in this rally, but fewer stocks are trading to one-month highs. It's about 25% of stocks. It was over 50 a couple of weeks ago. This can be an early signal, but I do think it's noteworthy. And we still are below that downtrend that started in the beginning of the year, you know, somewhere around 4,100, 4,125. Uh, and also leadership is starting to shift a little bit. Utilities outperforming again. So I would just watch that. You know, I would almost use this rally uh, to lighten up on exposure as we move into the end of the year, although I do think it could continue that long. All right. Okay. So, so if we talk about this idea, and, and maybe I'll throw this out to you, Tim, about using some of the strength that we've seen to lighten up on exposure, mm-hmm. to make that so that you have dry powder for later on down the line, is there a sense that you get for how, how much further this could go down if there were, hypothetically, another, another leg lower? Well, if you, if you look at the chart of the S&P over the last nine months, we've talked about these trading ranges, which have been very pronounced. Now, the fact that you've actually pushed up against this 200, have we broken through it? I don't know. Um, to be tactical in this environment, we've talked about there's different things you can do as an investor. You can sell upside calls. You have a position in a stock that's done really well. This is a way to enhance yield in a portfolio. Uh, I, I think we, we talk about investing from the perspective of stock by stock and also being tactical for a portfolio. Do I think markets are going to go lower? Yes. Do I think they can go higher in the short term? Yes. And I think that's really the dynamic we're in. I I think as long as rates, and and the most extraordinary thing to me today was that rates went lower on the day we had this payroll number. Uh, Two days after, again, we had one of the greatest moves we've seen in the 10-year bond yield, down 25 bips, down another couple today. Until rates start moving higher, um, I think equities continue to go lower. Until the dollar starts moving higher, I think equities continue to go higher. Did I say equities lower? Yeah, yeah, I I mean... Rates lower, stocks higher. Dollar lower, stocks higher. And I think that's the environment. There's a debate playing out right now about whether that lower rate for the 10-year, and and, and it could be trending lower right now, signals something about slower growth at some point down the line, no matter what. By the way, you mentioned that 200-day, 40-46, I think, on the S&P is the the, the, the level that some traders are watching right now for that 200-day moving average. Anyway, let's turn to crude oil right now and energy prices. WTI dipping below 80 bucks a barrel ahead of a big week. For energy, OPEC plus the partner countries meet on Sunday and the EU's ban on Russian crude going into effect on Monday. With prices currently near where they started the year, the chart master himself sees more weakness ahead in the energy complex. Let's bring in Carter Braxton, where CBW of Worth Charting and break it all down for us. Char- uh, Carter, what are you seeing? Thanks, Tom. Well, what we know, and let's just go right to the charts, is, of course, that crude oil spiked on the invasion of Ukraine. And that high is 130, 132. It touched a low of 73 and change. That's a 44% decline. But let's put some lines and arrows on and try to figure it out technically. So this is the exact same chart. And what we know, and this is important, right, is that we have been on trend and we've bounced and we've bounced close to trend. We bounced again and now we've undercut. And while we've thrown back a bit, gone from 73 and change low to we closed almost at 80, um, the odds of real upside from here, I think, are very low. More importantly, of course, is the energy market itself in terms of the shares market. And this is the XLE. And this is the fascinating thing. Is it OPEC? Is it demand for oil? Is it supply or is it? <laughs> and this is the beauty of it. To the penny, to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. It's very annoying to the fundamentalists. They don't like this, but to the penny, to the penny, <laughs> to the penny. And so you've got like, hey, there it is. Guess what? Big commodity traders look at charts. I think energy, the double top is important. We want to be underweight. And here's the best part, I think. It's all about relative. Look at this final chart. This is the S&P 500 energy sector's relative performance, a ratio line, to the S&P. And 
once again, going back all the way to the peak, energy peaks and it stops and it stops and it stops and it got to the penny to this line and energy is now since the second week in November underperforming the S&P by almost 700 base points. We want to be underweight energy. All right, underweight energy. An interesting point here. Carter, thank you very much for the charts there. We'll see you back here in a few for options action. So Steve, you've been the guy that's been calling for $65 per barrel crude. You have been for a while now. It was a very bold call at the time. What's your take? Is the downtrend in place? And will we see that $65 target for you? So, so to, to Carter's uh, point, the, the downtrend is still in place. And whenever you hear OPEC say they're going to cut production, you want to be a seller of oil. OPEC said they were going to cut production on October 5th. And it was their biggest cut since the pandemic. Those two spots on the chart, it rallied, spiked higher to low 90s, double top there, traded down to 73. That was in the face of an OPEC cut. Now OPEC says they're going to cut production again. So you want to sell it with both hands. The problem is the SPR is going to be replenished around $70. That's the guidance that we're hearing. Yes. That's the guidance that we're hearing. So what it does is it encourages commodity traders to buy ahead of the government buying it at 70. So your risk, uh, if you're gonna buy it, you can buy it at 70, 75. You can always sell it back to the government at 70 when they replenish the SPR. But even given all that, I think I have a shot at 65. All right, 65. So, so Tim, I'll, I'll look at you for this here. If you look at the outperformance of energy side, we, and Carter showed us the underperformance versus the S&P. Yeah. But there's been a big divergence in terms of energy stocks versus the price of crude oil. They normally track pretty closely, and that's kind of intuitive. But why are we seeing such relative strength in oil stocks as opposed to oil per barrel? And I'm one of those fundamental guys that that Carter says is going to get angry by his charts, but I'm not. And and I I would make, you know, yes, I would agree. Energy stocks, XLE has underperformed the S&P by uh, 10% since this this run. XLE has outperformed the price of crude by 20% since October 1. Um, the, the, the character change between energy stocks and the underlying commodity has been notable for six months. And the outperformance of the XLE to the, to the S&P is, is over 100% since the beginning of the year. And, and there's a couple different things going on. One is that, I say this all the time, energy, energy, energy equities are, are run differently. These companies are actually generating free cash flow. They're paying down debt. They are run differently. The S&P weighting is 4% in the S&P. I am sure, as sure as Steve was at 65, I am sure that the energy weighting will be north of 6 by the end of next year, if not north, north of 8. Um, what's going on with the energy sector is it's become more investable. Um, I actually think that China, by the way, coming on board and, and energy demand is actually going to go a lot higher than people expect. Courtney, I wonder, are, are there names, I, I think, you know, when you talk about the, the companies most levered to oil prices, you often think about exploration and production companies, mm-hmm. the upstream ones. Is there still a compelling value case to be made for energy stocks, oil and exploration and production energy stocks, even after the run that they've had versus oil prices? Well, I think uh, Tim just brought up a really good point here. And I think what you want to look at is China is the largest buyer of crude oil, right? And we've had just had so many false starts with when is China actually going to reopen? When is that demand going to come online? But it really is a question of when it's going to happen, not a question of if it's going to happen. So, you know, how early you are is the question. But I do think that is going to be a huge um, opportunity that's going to go into energy here. And especially you add that to supply coming down, the dollar weakening. I mean, all these things are actually bullish for your energy stocks. And they have come in so much more efficient um, at energy prices lower, they're still going to be profitable. All right. So there's the oil trade. Thanks, guys, very much. Coming up on the show, 
It's a bird, it's a plane, nope, it's our chart of the week. Stick around to find out what e-commerce darling is staging a comeback for the ages. But first, the K-Web, that China internet ETF, is climbing higher today and you won't believe the crazy move it's had since early November. We've got that trade and more when Fast Money returns. Check out the Dow laggers on our way out. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money, the big show. The K-Web in rally mode today. Chinese internet stocks closing 6% higher on an ETF basis. And check out the crazy move higher since the start of November. That index is rallying 55% in just about one month's time. So should you bet on what we're going to call a Beijing boom? Let's trade it. So Tim, emerging markets, even though I guess it's the world's second biggest economy, we still call it an emerging market, though. Well, it, it's acted like it. And if you, you look at the headlines out of the government, you know, we've, we've said this. Investing in Alibaba hasn't necessarily been about looking at the P.E. ratio and the slowdown in China e-commerce. It's really been about the attack on the company. And I think if you look across the e-commerce space, it's like Tencent, which at one point I argued was the world's most interesting tech company because it was an incubator. It was a, it was a platform. It was a social network. Uh, and they also were under the nail, the thumb, thumbnail of the government. Quickly, I, I tell you, when Ant Financial did, you know, basically was fined a billion dollars a couple weeks ago, to me, that is the final settlement, the ring kissing. I think investing in China Internet um, is back in. And I also think that some of these companies have done what they need to do with U.S. Regular, regulators on the accounting side. There was a lot, a lot of bustle back and forth in terms of them getting delisted and whatnot. I think right now, if you look at the, the K-Web, I think you can stay in this trade because I think China also is the only central bank in the world that's easing. So EM is outperforming. That's where I've been allocating uh, money over the last three weeks to a month and a half. And I think that trade continues to go higher. Jeff Mills, I, I'd like to get your take on this, because at, at, at various points over the last couple of years, 
the, the narrative has been around for China investing about the regulatory crackdown specifically against big tech by the government. And then it became more recently and rightfully so the economic effects of the zero covid policy there. So as things shake out, we talked about is it investable? Is it not? Is it investable? Have these things kind of cleared up in your mind? So the changing of the policy landscape has been kind of front of mind for me for a while. So I'm not going to get all bowled up on China just because of the recent price move. But that being said, so looking at K-Web, anything below 25 times on a P.E. basis has historically been very, very low. Now, we all know valuation isn't going to help from a timing perspective, but I've been looking elsewhere in the market for signs of what Tim is talking about relative to some of the stimulus that we know is coming in 2023, some of the easing of the zero COVID measures. Uh, the 10-year in China is bottoming. Interesting. Certain other clues. Some of these resource names, so Glencore, Rio, BHP, even some of the U.S. Steel names, you know, those charts are starting to wake up after a very, very long time, and I all think it might be indicative of, of what we're we're seeing in China and, and some of these changes that are happening, at least from a stimulative perspective and, and from an economic perspective as we move into 20, 2023. Again, I don't think it's all systems go, um, but I do think you can stick with the trade at least for the next couple months. Well, I mean, Courtney, what do you think? Is China a go? Yeah, I've actually I've been really optimistic on China and the emerging markets in general, and I do think you're you're finally getting some good opportunities here. The valuations are low, the dollar's weakening, all which is a good sign. Um, rather than KWeb, though, I actually would look at a broader emerging markets fund. And you look at like some of the top holdings in KWeb. You're going to look at your Ten Cents, your Alibaba's. You're also going to get that in your emerging markets, like whether it's iShares or Vanguard, has something very similar. But also, you're going to get like a Taiwan Semi in there as well, which I think is something you really want to make sure you're invested in as a whole. Right. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and therefore, I'm going to point out that on the night we had the is China uninvestable, I think that was probably the low. The, the low, market. yeah, exactly. You know, the I mean, it's the buy signal. But that was the day when the government also reached out and, and did not only another zero COVID policy, but they leaned on Alibaba, et cetera. Everything's been rallying ever since. All right. So there's the China trade coming up with the show. One retail stock in rally mode this week. Should you add this name to your shopping cart? Whoops, that was uh, a clue. We'll reveal the mystery chart coming up next. You are watching Fast Money Live here from the NASDAQ market site right in Times Square. We are back after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to reveal our chart of the week. It is, in fact, Etsy, up 17% since Monday, according to a BTIG survey out yesterday. Active Etsy shoppers plan to spend 18% more this holiday season versus last year. And that's not all. The stock rallying more than 60% just over the past month. Steve Grasso, Etsy, it's been beaten up, but maybe this is viable. It looks like it broke the downtrend. And if you look at the stock, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's almost everyone bet against it, dramatically against it. It's having a month. And people that are trading this are also trading Shopify. So if you subtract the month-to-date performance in Etsy from its, its outperformance over Shopify, they have the same exact performance year-to-date. So you take one, put it together. I know it's a little wonky, but they're trading them in unison. And I think it's broken the downtrend. They gained 6 million new buyers on the site. People are returning back to it. I know Guy's a huge fan of Etsy. Always there. That's why he couldn't be here tonight. But I think it's, I think it's somewhat viable now, and it's a reflection of what retail is actually doing right now, too. I will admit, I bought something on Etsy just in the last week or so. Anyway, all right, time for final trades, guys. Let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills. 
So I take a look at the turn in biotech here. I think it's sort of interesting, definitely noteworthy in my mind. IBB on the long side. Steve Grasso. Meta, what a bounce and still going. All right, Courtney. Taiwan Semi, um, I like emerging markets here. And Tim Seymour. Dom, thank you for joining us. Uh, always great. Las Vegas Sands, another China play for you. Check that one out. All right, so that does it for us here on Fast Money, guys. Don't go anywhere. We got a market that closed out the week with some interesting storylines. Keep it right here because options action is coming up next right after this break, guys. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.